Sing Glory! Today we're sitting down with Patrick Kelly, perfumer and founder of Sigil Scent. With only our senses as a means through which we perceive the world, touch, sight, hearing, taste, and smell serve as the footholds through which we understand and carve our reality. Patrick, a wielder of one of such senses, alchemizes tinctures, essential oils, and absolutes in the act of preserving the moments and places we wish not to forget. There are things that we can be certain of. The crispness and tang of life, the suggestive smokiness of what was, and that, though perhaps not in the same way, the repetitive blossom and its wilt is the way of things. As such, it's our home from which Patrick draws upon in bottling these memories for us to wear. That these earthly matters in their transmuted forms will be our remembrance, a premonition and predecessor as we too move throughout our cycles. Once it was clear what we were up against and everything went on lockdown, Patrick has been single-handedly formulating sanitizing hand mists from out of his downtown studio. As of the last batch update, the sanitizing hand mists are composed of 190 proof organic, lab-certified gluten-free, wheat-derived alcohol, distilled water, a small amount of essential oils, 3% hydrogen peroxide solution, and pure bloody intention. Over $4,000 has been raised for LA's LGBT Center's food pantry and COVID-19 relief efforts as a result of Patrick and his work. This is episode 39, Earthly Matters with Patrick Kelly. A quick heads up, we're dealing with an overseas conversation here, so the audio may reflect this. Coming to you from California in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. I'd honestly love to intro the episode with you reading perhaps a description of Amor Fati or Seleucio. I feel almost like it's it's a reflection of this period right now. I don't know if you saw, but Vanity Fair said the same thing. They did a feature. They were planning to feature Sigil already in April print. But um, given what's been going on, the web version of the article talks a little bit more about kind of how the editorial about the best in clean beauty has maybe shifted paradigms with all of what's happening in the world. And um, the editor effectively said the same thing as you, like, well, Amor Fati is a little bit prescient in its description about what's happening in the world. So I've never been called prescient before, but I, I didn't mind the compliment from Vanity Fair. <laughs> I'd rather not be prescient in that way, but um, no, I mean, so basically, I don't know if you want me to read it. I can give like a riff if you want me to read it too, but essentially Amor Fati it's our best-selling fragrance, by the way. It's super light and approachable, but it has this warmth and smokiness that makes it feel really complex and um, tenacious. There's everyone's favorite, Palo Santo. There's some oud, which is really kind of um, warm and amber-like. There's a papanox, which is a resin, and then some brighter citrus notes. Uh, but Amor Fati as a concept is all about this idea that everything that we experience in life from the moment we're born until we pass is kind of this Ouroboros, this cyclical experience that we all share, where we are um, challenged on the regular, but also have moments of joy, of bliss, some sense of striving, of learning and growth, and often we only recognize the high points, but Amor Fati is kind of this idea that the, all of that cumulative human experience is what makes life so joyous and so worth um, recognizing and stopping and savoring, and uh, it's kind of this idea of through death, there's rebirth, everything is a cycle, and in Latin it's kind of roughly love of faith, but not in this kind of hands-up, hands-off kind of way, more, like I said, about really recognizing and stopping and savoring and appreciating all of what the complex cycle of life 
has to offer us. Um, so it's kind of like an ad lib version of what the scent description descri- talks about. It's a little more fl- flowery in the in the perfume description than that. But um, I, in, in creating a fragrance that connected to that concept, it was important that we use some sort of traditional incense um, notes, a little bit more smoky to signify that kind of ashes of fire and rebirth and. Um, a little bit brighter, more celestial and effervescent from the citrus to kind of signify new new life and brightness and joy and success and experiences in that kind of lane. Um, so that's Amor Fati. Yeah, where does that stem from for you? Is it maybe rooted in childhood or is there a period in time that is more so representative of this fragrance? It's diff- the journey to creating the fragrance is different every time. Sometimes it starts more conceptual, and then the fragrance composition works its way into the brief. And other times it's the opposite, where I'll have an idea for an accord, which is like a combination of disparate notes that together create a new smell or a new experience. And then the story comes later. With Amor Fati, it was much more the former. It was the conceptual, as I mentioned, was this this idea or this philosophy of Amor Fati, which is ancient. I didn't invent it. I just wrote words about it. Um, and then developed a fragrance around that, as I mentioned, it's sort of homage or nod to this sort of incense, holy woods that would signify that. So in that case, it was more concept than scent. Others, it's the opposite. Like Prima Materia, I just formulated for for its own sake, as far as, like, creating a badass fragrance that smells amazing. It's our second bestseller. And the storyline kind of developed around the, the smell as it was kind of evolving in composition. I mean, as a child, I was really shy, super nerdy, really into reading and film. Even as, like, a young teenager, I was obsessed with, like, rare film and foreign film. Um, so a lot of those interests have carried over into my adult life. Yeah, I would say compared to how I described myself there as a younger person, a lot of those interests have carried over in terms of, like, I ended up studying film and writing in school, so that carried through. Um, and in terms of how I write, write about the brand, it's very much more on the ornate side of things in its description and its voice. Uh, but as a person, as an individual in the brand and outside of it, I'm much more confident than I was as a young person. So um, I still have tendencies toward introversion, but I'm trying to channel my Scorpio rising and my Aries North node to be a little bit more of the founder star role without being a pompous jerk. I still think you know compassion and kindness are my my mo or my North Star, but uh, leaning a little more into the forward facing, more um, kind of founder voice and being less less shy, less afraid um, compared to how I was as a youth. I can almost see that right now is definitely pushing you to be more so in that role as well. Oh, for sure. I feel like uh, uh, it's an interesting healthy balance as like a brand, someone from the outside. I think our, our voice is really polished and our aesthetic is really tight. So there's kind of this inner founder voice at my scale and, I talk about this with my peers a lot of like how much of the founder voice in your face makes the most sense. Does it feel like it kind of detracts from the aesthetic and like perception of a larger than life brand if it's a little scrappier and a little more in the moment. But as you said, now that there's this huge challenge and I'm just kind of trying to show up in community for the people that connect to the brand and what we're doing, I'm much less concerned with that kind of 
cohesive aesthetic feel even on the grid I'm like usually so perfectionistic about consistent cohesive imagery and now I'm kind of still thinking about that but much less and more so focused on how do I create more ways for people to have voice have agency have a space like you said the poetry reading after that I did a a tea time with my friend who has a tea company Um, a couple days ago I did a, a fireside chat with the founder of Cat Beauty which I think 650 people came to. And then um, Friday, I'm doing one on flower remedies with my friend Alexis Smart. So just oh, trying wow. to like focus more on community in commerce and rather than the other way around. Um, you know, some would say like from a marketing perspective, that will have long-term residual impacts. I'm not really doing it for that reason. If that happens to be the case, great, because obviously I want to be a viable business long into the future. But for me, it's more about uh, we're all in this together. How do I have some sense of building community for people in this tight network of um, peers and uh, customers, friends, and uh, allies of the brand? I'm, from my perspective, this is exactly what's going to resonate with people. I mean, right now, in this stillness that we are feeling, this time that we have, I know that a lot of people are do still feel very pressured and caged in and there are those of us who do have more time than others right now but that this isolation is bringing a sense and really cutting through what do I value and Netflix just it's not gonna entertain people for much longer Uh, how I consume what do I consume like what's worthy and what you're doing is genuine connection and connecting with people and holding dialogue and making space for conversations that are worth having and it's allowing people to step in and giving them that choice and option and they're in a time we're all in a time right now where we're seeking these things out because it's we can't I I see all around me people just they're looking for genuine connection and yeah it's cutting through the bullshit yeah Absolutely. I think um, this is an opportunity for everyone, and in particular brand owners, to ask ourselves how we're making the world better. And um, maybe this sounds like kind of Hunger Games-esque, which is not my intent, but a bit of a proving space for people to think about how they vote with their dollars and maybe do less spending with companies and brands that are not doing just that, that aren't necessarily improving the world from a social stance or an environmental stance or uh, any of the values that maybe a person uh, is inherently guided by. Uh, Yeah, so I'm with you. I hope people are using this pause or this space to really think about that. Also, there's something powerful about these small businesses that are better able to adapt their supply chains or pivot and be a little more agile and innovative about the solutions they offer to the real needs of their community, more so than like huge companies with spans of control and lots of layers of bureaucracy and complex, you know, multi-regional, international distribution models and 3PLs, like all that's great for efficiency and cost management, but in a time like now that the businesses like mine that are at a large, small, you know, small to not quite even medium scale, I've at least seen an observation, like perhaps I'm in a bubble and sit closer to those companies, but it seems to me are, have been better able to navigate change during this period. Um, 
And obviously, like, it's so sad that I had to cancel these two positions, but hopefully I can bring them right back in, but I'm not, you know, letting go of hundreds of thousands or thousands of people or anything like that. Some of the larger companies are. So, um, I don't know, I'm rambling a bit, but these are the thoughts I've been thinking, and hopefully others find some, like you said, some pause to really be more intentional and thoughtful about our, our patterns and our values and our way of showing up community and commerce yeah because sigil is this it's an appendage it's still like this extension of yourself whereas as you said bigger brands it's almost like they've created this entire other entity and right now they can't exactly adapt or pivot as quickly it's unfortunate times are changing and barriers are being broken down with that being said i know that you work with absolutes and essential oils I have no idea how you're managing this. Could you take me through that? How are you doing this from like where where is this kind of all based right now? What does the day to day look like? How are you still in production? Take me through it. Yeah. Sigil uh, is gender neutral fine fragrance. We also happen to use hundred percent natural materials. So um, I like to say we happen to because you know, I think there's this paradigm or this bias that people have toward words like essential oil where they think it maybe has a less than connotation compared to commercial fragrance when in fact perfume started as such and it's only really in the last century or so that commercial perfumes uh, you know started to leverage more synthetics based on cost and in some ways sustainability I don't I don't argue that natural is sustainable more so than synthetic there's a lot of uh, counterpoints that are tricky to navigate in that whole um dialogue but what we do focus on is complexity gender neutrality so something for all identities and uh, I personally like to use naturals because I find that they're a little bit a lot more in fact alive they're they're supple they're one with you they evolve and transform with the skin and the body in a way that synthetics which I found find to be more rigid just do not um, but said yeah we use essential oils we also use absolutes we use tinctures which are produced in-house um, and the care that we use is a certified organic small batch ethyl alcohol derived from sugarcane that's produced in the Pacific Northwest here in the United States. Um, right now we're buying, I would say, about, just looking at my production area, 30 gallons of alcohol at a time or so. This is about a little more than a drum. But, uh, and in answer to your question, I mean, we buy our materials by the kilo or more usually depending on which material you're looking at so something like a lower cost citrus or bark will buy in the multiple kilos whereas uh, more costly sort of flowers we're buying 16 ounces to one kilo at a time using a little less of those in the products because of formulary considerations um yeah, the tinctures we do still produce in-house, which is an interesting question for scaling because it adds a lot of complexity and time to the just uh, production schedule. To produce a tincture, it's basically, they're used commonly in, um, in medicinal practices and philosophies as well, but basically it's a raw material, like let's say a white sage, um, that you immerse in a volatile solvent, in our case that same high-proof alcohol, 190-proof alcohol I mentioned that's cane sugar-based, for a number of days, weeks, or months, depending on the raw material, it varies the amount of time. Um, and the, 
the volatile solvent leaches all of the aromatic compounds out of the raw material, and then you strain it and do what's called a recharge one or two more times to put more raw material into the tincture to add to its concentration. I found that tinctures, folding them into our carrier kind of softens the volatility of the alcohol. It feels less alcoholic, so to speak, or less evaporative and adds more of a fixative quality to the finished formulas. Um, and once everything is folded together on the on the aromatic side, it, it it's what's called matured for about a month. And then we fold it into the volatile solvent carrier of the alcohol for another one to two months. So the whole thing is about a three month, a two to three month aging process um, from start to finish. Then we do a double filtrations, make sure there's no particles that would clog the dip tube. And then we um, funnel and pour everything into the individual Italian glass bottles. Everything's hand crimped, which means it's not, it's a non-screw cap. It actually is like physically adhered with a manual crimp tool. Dang. So <laughs> yeah, I'm rambling. But anyway, it's a long process, and um, that's why I was late. I'm sorry. It's like I've gone from from doing this on a really small scale to a much, for me, much larger scale in the last year, and now that things are tight with wholesale, kind of a big question mark, and lots of stores, understandably, canceling their orders. I've had to pivot our operations and do everything in our studio downtown. Myself, also from like just a safety and hygiene perspective, obviously, I'm staying isolated and not letting anyone in the studio and like manically cleaning everything multiple times a day. So that's a big part of the day to day here, too. Okay, yeah. I mean, like, first of all, don't do not apologize. That is <laughs> one hefty process. See, this is why I buy my tinctures. Um, because, <laughs> yeah, I have I have like shots to Herb Farm because I have tried oh, once yeah, or twice. Good. It's, it's, ah, God, that process. Um, but, I mean, usually, you know, I, I associate with just ingesting them, but what kind yeah. of made you, what sparked the idea to just bring them, like, into the fragrance? Oh, well, I mean, if you think about a tincture, they have a smell, um, and they're in a volatile solvent, so the, the idea that it led to my experimentation was that they're already in a solvent or in a, a, a carrier that would be used conventionally in a perfume and just uh, a bit of a less, uh, what's the word I want to use, less uh, invasive feeling than straight alcohol or whatever carrier would be used in perfume. There aren't a lot of perfumes that use tinctures. There's yeah. probably a small handful of us on the natural side, definitely none in the commercial side that I've heard of that are using tinctures. Um yeah, basically, I mean, I've been experimenting for like 12 years, and I've just tried things on and off, and read things in books, and taken classes, etc. Um, so I don't know, I don't have like a pointed romantic story about it, it just was playing around with them, and it seemed to work. I don't have any like white papers on how they add efficacy to the perfume, <laughs> but they seem to, I've found, almost have like more of a, like, before they're folded in and aged and then double filtered, they definitely are tackier, like, more more sugary feeling and, and texture, more sticky. So, at least in my head, I imagine that that's adding to the tenacity or, like, the, the way the fragrance adheres and lasts on the skin. Obviously, when they're folded into the carrier, it's at a much less concentration and filtered, so there's no sediment, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but that kind of composition, I believe, carries through and lends itself to more of a long, enduring, um, fragrance yeah I, I mean I totally feel like this just speaks to your film background as well it's like you've 
kind of like, I can imagine if I, it's just going to be a journey throughout the day. You have like the volatile top notes, but then like throughout the day, it's like this aromatic unfolding. And you, it's like a film scene that you've yeah. just basically <laughs> bottled. Yeah, I love that. I love that comparison. Yeah, it's like the opening act, the heart is the kind of like court confrontation of the film and then the denouement just kind of like the finishing notes or something. Um, it's a great comparison. You know, you remind me so much of Howl and Howl's Moving Castle. Have oh, you... I love Miyazaki. Yes, yeah, it's like stuff. his room. I can just totally imagine like that scene where it's like you get to see his room and like, you know, <laughs> the complete, I can just like already see the entire like space is just filled with these scents. His room is basically like the visual version of that. What's like your studio smell like actually? Oh gosh, it's kind of like this miasma melange of all, all the things. I don't know that it smells great, to be honest, because all the things mixed together are a little <laughs> bit clashy. There's definitely a finesse and an art to the you know, process of creating a perfume, hence there are a few of us doing it and doing it successfully. But um, I, uh, so my, my whole building is mixed-use um, business studio, so there's like photographers, there's a jewelry line down the hall that I love called Hati Chai that's oh, I love that. yes. yeah they're so cool we're working together a bit now too on some things but that's another story so I get texts from my neighbors sometimes and other business units that are like I can smell you're doing something over there today I'm like, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but suffice to say like on production days you can smell it as soon as you get off the elevator so um yeah it's uh Intense, maybe, is the word, the word for it. Um, wow. But I think in a pleasant way. No one's ever texted, hey, cut it out. It's more like, <laughs> uh, wow, or something. <laughs> okay, well then, say, what would your favorite singular note be? I waver between vetiver, neroli, and labdanum. Those are my kind of back pocket uh, allies in the set game. Um Neroli, I would say, is probably my absolute favorite. It's just so costly. Um, it comes from, you probably know, but for those who are listening and maybe don't know, um, the bitter orange tree is one of the most versatile plants that you can derive a lot of different uses from for perfumery. So neroli comes from orange blossom when it's specifically processed as an essential oil through steam distillation. You can also use the flower to create an absolute, which is then called orange blossom absolute. It's just one of those weird things in perfumery. It's the same material, but when processed into an oil through steam distillation, it's called neroli. It has more of a softness, a creaminess, and the absolute's a little bit greener, a little bit more kind of um, vegetal in its crispness, if that makes sense. Um, you can also do petit grain, which comes from the leaves and, and stems, the twigs that are processed into an essential oil. You can do that with or without the flowers. Um, the same material, same process for petit grain with or without flowers. You can do the orange as an oil through expression or through steam distillation of the peel. Um, there's more, I think I'm forgetting, but there's like, you know, tons of ways to use this tree. But neroli by far is my favorite of all of the uses. Uh, it's a white flower, so it has that creaminess, but still some freshness from the citrus aspect. Really, any citrus flower I'm obsessed with, like grapefruit blossom, lemon blossom, but I would say orange blossom is my favorite of the bunch. I remember coming across tonka bean for the first time. Mm, yeah. And I was just like, I was just completely hooked. 
and I can't find it anywhere now, and it's always sold out, and it's so frustrating. Yeah, you were buying it processed or just like as the raw material? It was processed, but then I also know that there are some, I don't know, Tonka bean, they were saying that it's not that great for the skin. It can be, I don't know, toxic to uh-huh. ingest as well. People use it in ice cream a lot, and it's just really bad for you, but I don't, do you know anything about Tonka bean being bad for you? don't know about ingesting it. I'd have to research that to understand it. I'm, um, I don't use it in any of our perfumes currently. I do love it as a material. It's really costly on the processed side to yeah. source it. Um, so that's one of the main reasons I don't use it. But uh, I don't know. I've been thinking about developing more of a gourmand, which is like more of that kind of sweeter, more edible oh, category of fragrances. Yes. And Tonka Bean is a nice complement to a gourmand. So maybe I'll end up using it. I know for sure... It, certain concentrations, it's considered it for compliance. So I would imagine, at least topically, that it's not, you know, it's not banned. It's, res- it's uh, restricted or regulated in some ways. But uh, I don't, off the top of my head, I don't know the regulations on the if or side for what kind of amounts or concentrations you can use of it in perfume. I'd have to look it up in my handy book. Um, yeah, it's a good one though. Super, super warm, creamy. Yes. Oh my god, the creamy scent gets me every time. <laughs> Mm. I prefer it over like a vanilla I can read a little too sweet yes. a little too, uh, too little like teenage girl vibes with vanilla for me or something <laughs> too vanilla <laughs> yeah. yeah well then I mean like people aren't really going out anymore so I can see the traditional circumstances in which you know we'd usually reach for our fragrances have mm. changed how have you noticed or perhaps seen people turning to scents right now or even just yourself because you know ritual I think is extremely important right now absolutely I mean perfume isn't just for other people so I hope that and I've seen at least so far in sales that others are still using perfume at home Um, I think you're right it can be this kind of way of engaging the pleasure center the kind of limbic emotion regulation part of the brain and the amygdala soothing some stress response I've never positioned sigil as an aromatherapeutic product. It's not. It's not formulated for use in aromatherapy or stress management or anything of the sort. It's true fine fragrance. However, yeah, I mean, if you find something that engages the sensorial and makes you smile or makes you feel joy or remember a special moment, that's proven in neuroscience to minimize that response and reduce, um, you know, the amygdala hijack that happens in the back part of the brain and the... Um, in the limbic system, which is responsible for stress response and emotional regulation and all the things. So it doesn't have to be perfume, though. I don't want to, like, plug my own stuff. You know, if you have uh, a well-being practice like self-massage, that'll help. Or just naming emotions instead of just feeling them in a reactive way, like writing down sad. That's very broad. How do you make that more specific? What are the layers of emotion? Write it down in a journal. That actually moves the stress response into the uh, prefrontal cortex or the logic processing front part of the brain uh, and helps to reduce things like stress, anxiety, um, the corporeal response to stress like sweating and anxiety and um, raised heart rate. All of that gets calmed down just through the act of naming um, in the logic part of the brain with words. So there's lots of ways to engage the senses more more pragmatically or more experientially. And perfume or scent is just one of the many tools in that arsenal that I think can help people navigate this stressful time. 
I mean, okay, so we're going to touch on the bathing now. <laughs> this, like, okay, this may sound like super creepy, but, you know, public consumption, your Instagram stories have been a main staple in keeping me sane as well. I am not going to apologize for it. And I also, I feel like skincare is just so important because it kind of goes hand in hand with fragrance. Your skin is just not healthy. I don't think that, you know, fragrance, I just feel like there's a balance between the two. What's the kind of the bathing slash skincare routine been looking like? I've scaled back a little. I'm not wearing as much makeup. I never wear a ton, but I usually would do like a, a highlighter and a concealer and maybe some brow stuff, but I'm like, well, don't need to do that anymore unless it's for a special occasion, a video recording or something or FaceTiming with a friend or something. But on the, excuse me, on the bath ritual and skincare side, I still think it's important to maintain as many of our regular day-to-day rituals as we're able to whether it's using your full skincare routine, making sure that you get dressed for the day, even if you're just sitting in front of your computer and at home. Um, so for me, what that's looked like is, yeah, I still take a bath almost every day. <laughs> I know that's like not the best use of time, but it's, as I mentioned before, my, own, my one of maybe two or three ways that I'm helping to stay sort of chilled out and less work, work, work through all of this stress. So um, what do I do? I, I run a bath, I pour usually some kind of a hydrosol into the bath water, whether it's rose or uh, orange blossom hydrosol, just to add a little bit of an aromatic facet to the experience. Um, sometimes a face mask. I really like my friend Nita's line. It's called Less, L-E-S-S-E. They have a bioactive face mask with a rare ash, volcanic ash, I think. Um, it's like cleansing but moisturizing so you don't feel stripped afterwards. It's like super creamy and smells amazing. Um, that's been great. And then on the regular day-to-day skincare side of things, I have been keeping it a little more minimal, not as many serums, not as much exfoliation. Um, one of the cool things about being stuck inside and less exposed to sun is you can do more acids during the day. So I've been doing more, um, not every day, but more regularity of acid treatments and serums here and there. Uh, obviously still SPF because you're, you're by a window. You want to make sure you're minimizing um, UV exposure, especially after after photosensitizing ingredient but uh so let's see i do like a cream cleanser usually a uh, really light hydrosol based toner maybe one or two serums and then uh, my friend Allie in portland has this amazing line called heart of gold i've been really into this spring cream that she created with cottonwood tincture um she uses the same alcohol as me for her tinctures um so it smells kind of sweet cottonwoody and it's really rich supple but absorbs easily and that's limited edition. So if you're looking for like a indulgent springtime cream that's rich but light all at once, that's a, a high high recommendation from me. I mean, you're just kind of wearing all your friends. <laughs> it's, a, it's true. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any like larger commercial brands that I use at this point. I don't think so. I mean, even like the olive oil I use is owned by a friend's a friend a friend's company called Wonder Valley. The I mean. Even the produce, I'm trying to buy, like, one of the amazing things that restaurants are doing here is curating really gorgeous produce boxes from local, or at least some somewhat regional farms. I'm trying to do a lot of that because, obviously, restaurants can't be open right now, but that's still a way of supporting them. Um, and then when it comes, I, like, feverishly spray everything with sanitizer in my middle <laughs> um, Yeah, I, I don't know. I think if more than ever small businesses are going to feel this impact for a long time to come. So if there's ways to support local and independent businesses, it's just a no-brainer, um, in particular now, more than ever. Yeah. 
I just kind of feel like regardless of the situation, though, this is honestly kind of how a lot of people are more so resonating with, yeah, this way of life and scaling back. And, you know, we're seeing that eating seasonally, eating locally, supporting our immediate community. It's like, walk before we run. Who is the person standing next to you? Yeah. And... In what ways can I support them? And, you know, there's enough for everybody. And uh-huh. it's really nice to get um, the, you know, foreign things at the grocery store once in a while. But nothing yeah. nothing beats you. I get to, like, you're like, I'm wearing all my friends. Or I'm, uh-huh. like, eating from these amazing, amazing restaurants down the street. You know, in these hard times, people are still just being there for one another, I think it's honestly just a step in the right direction. I agree. I feel like I'm noticing more compassion for others, which it's like, uh, I don't want to say unfortunate it took this, but like, I think people usually don't change unless there's significant behavioral models of change that are being blasted right in their face. (laughs) And this is that opportunity for people to like, you know, understand what it means to really connect on a deeper level and show up for each other and ask the questions that are more emotionally intelligent about how people are feeling and learning ways to not absorb that, but to reflect it and to show compassion over empathy for people we care about. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it extends beyond business and into community and friendships. And I, uh, I just am really optimistic that if anything, we'll leave this challenging time with, more of a sustainable approach to navigating relationships, business or otherwise, personal, platonic, romantic, all of the above. I also want to know what you have been cooking or freezing or prepping. Yeah, let's see. I've been doing kind of out of produce. That reminds me I need to order another produce box. I've been eating a lot of really simple foods, so like tons of sticky rice with um, frozen kale, sauteed kale on top, and little sprouted seeds. Um, I'm vegetarian, so I don't eat meat. Um, I really don't. I was vegan for nine years. I barely eat any, probably since this whole experience, I haven't been vegan again. I haven't been eating cheese. Well, eggs here and there, local local eggs. But um, hmm, what else? I like a... I like uh, overnight oats in the morning with some berries and some rose glycerite, which is another type of tincture that's sweeter. Uh, I sprinkle or like squirt a little bit of that on top of my overnight oats with some berries and some sprouted seeds. Keeps me full till later in the day. Um, lots and lots of matcha. I haven't had coffee. I had one coffee actually this whole time, and it totally fucked my adrenals up. So I'm like, should have known. Oh that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, that's been a, a journey of getting off of coffee and onto teas and matcha instead, but definitely more sustainable energy, less nervous feeling. Um, so probably two or three matchas a day. I don't know if that makes it much better than having coffee, but at least it's uh, the L-theanine in there is really great for balanced energy and relaxation, immunity, and a bunch of other lovely things. So um, yeah, that's kind of like my day-in-the-life diet, what do I have for dinner usually? My, my preferred dinner is like heaps and heaps of raw greens with like vinegar and oil and some flake salt and pepper with all the fermented and pickled everything. So like capers and sauerkraut and 
maybe throw a fried egg on there occasionally. But given the circumstances, I feel like it's harder and harder to get that uh, fresh, raw greens. So I haven't been having less of those, unfortunately, and more frozen greens. But uh, anyway, yeah. Oh, and just like dumping a crap ton of like seaweed on there. I know, I love Uh, seaweed. Love seaweed. or into human design but my oh yeah human design is, is generator which is like very much driven by work 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 output keep things moving it's a very common human design type but um i ain't mad about it because i think it I've, uh, I've learned to balance like the creative and um and tactical parts of my brain and uh while i'd love to have more help back in here to keep the operation stuff going it helps to be that generator part of me core part of me that uh you know really runs best on working hard non-stop energy storage galore storage galore of energy so um yeah, yeah. that's me <laughs> yeah yeah no i do my human design i got manifesting generator and oh, i love an mg it's just like I, I totally get you with that and then i remember when i was younger i took um I took Chaga for the first time, and I came crashing down. Oh, no. I I was like, I took, like, you know, minimum doses, and just, I was wiped out. Whoa, was I, like, that out of touch with myself? Just, like, you know, your circadian (laughs) rhythm, your adrenals, you're just like, holy man. Oh my god, I love it. Wait, what do you, so, you mentioned Chaga. What are your, if not that, what are some of your allies, your, like, daily, to flip it on you a little, do you have, like, you mentioned you do herb farm tinctures, what are some of your tried and true faves? I kind of love looking at the organs and the schedule of organs, because I know in the East, they work with this a lot, where it's like you're going to look at the timeline of your organs, and then I kind of overlap it with, say, the Ayurvedic practices, what dosha, and then looking at herbs, but then also the foods and the energetic workings of it, because I find that right now we're moving into spring, but with this virus going around, you know, you kind of want to keep a light sweat going as well and keep the, the lungs clear, and I just find that relying on, say, you know, true licorice root here and there or you know Ceylon cinnamon not that cassia stuff but like the true cinnamon for like keeping like the mouth clean that bacteria just like clean um I just like love peppermint to keep the lungs clear I'm just obsessed with the root powders let's see I cannot get enough of hibiscus right now nettle um and I just dump Seaweed on everything. Yeah. Once I get started on herbs, it's just, I can't stop. There's just like the pantry. <laughs> you open the pantry and you're just like, oh my God, okay. If there was a time in your life where it was guts versus logic and you went with your gut. Oh gosh, pivoting from doing the business on the side to going all in was a huge guts moment. I mean, there's always that scaling exercise when you're self-funded. I don't have any private investment or, as I mentioned, family that would be willing to do something like that for me. 
um, which I'm not complaining about. I'm quite thankful. I think I've built that sense of resilience and grit over the course of the last 17 years from when I moved out and like forged my own path. But there was a huge impasse or crux moment for sure when I was like, all right, I'm leaving a paycheck. Is that a smart move? But, and I don't like the word, but, and the exponential kind of, uh, impacts of having all of your time and focus on your core purpose is so worth jumping in to that risk. You have to be obviously smart about that and have some savings and have a little bit of a backup plan in case things don't go right the first few quarters, etc. But that was a huge guts moment of like walking away from the weekly or bi-weekly, I don't remember, kind of pay, bi-weekly I think, pay structure to, well, it's all you, baby. Got to figure it out day by day, week by week. And um, I mean, I still freak out all the time, like, what the hell am I doing? But generally, it's been worth the risk and the, uh, you know, you don't win anything by not trying. So I think just being open to exposing yourself to risk smartly, where you have a little bit of a net if things should go south, is uh, the, way to, the way to live, the way to model iterative growth in any business. Yeah. Hey, you're still here concocting, bathing, yogaing. <laughs> so far, so good. Keep yeah. it up. <laughs> this is Patrick Kelly of Sigil Scent signing off of Guts and Glory. This was Earthly Matters with Patrick Kelly. Refer to the show notes to further get to know our guest. Share your thoughts and show us some love by subscribing or get in touch to be featured on the podcast. Released every other Monday. Thanks for lending us an ear. Passing on the mic.